So to start out with this morning, um, I want to share with you a little story. I teach uh, private music lessons on the side to kind of help um, supplement income with Kate for Young Life and stuff like that. And I go to a couple of high schools around San Antonio and teach uh, trombone lessons. So trombone is the brass instrument with the slide, right? Right. That's the trombone. Um, that's kind of the nerdy band instrument that I play. Um, you've seen me play some other stuff. Um, but trombone is kind of like the band instrument. Uh, my, I come from a musical family, so my entire family, and they're all brass players. So my sister plays the trumpet, and that's like, right, with the valves, Louis Armstrong. My brother plays the French horn, right, that's the one that uh, you kind of hold it like this. If you listen to like really epic music scores, you hear a lot of French horn. I play the trombone, it's kind of the nerdiest. Uh, the French horn, um, it's really beautiful, unless you're, unless you're a really bad French horn player, and then it's really bad. French horn is one of those instruments where if you're not very good, it sounds awful, but if you are, un- unlike the saxophone, like pretty much anyone, I think you could probably pick up the saxophone and sound pretty good on it right away. Um, French horn, French horn, you have to be kind of good. No, but I play the trombone. The trombone. It's kind of the nerdiest of all the instruments. All right, but I love it. I've played it for a long time, and uh, and I'm pretty good at it. And I like to teach trombone. So I do that. I go to local high schools, um, a couple high schools around town, and I teach trombone lessons. Um, and so uh, this is a story about one of my students. His name is Chris, and I started teaching Chris some private lessons about I guess what 16 months ago now. So last August. So August a year ago. And, um, and Chris, he came in, he was real young, and he was excited, um, really good worker. He, I, you know, we introduced you know, ourselves to each other, and I said, hey, Chris, you know, if we're going to do private lessons every week from here until you, know, you graduate or however long you want to do it, what do you want out of this time? Like, what do you want to get out of these private music lessons? And he said, well, two things. One, um, I want my sound to be a lot better. So for those of you who are unfamiliar with the band world, um, especially brass instruments, right? you have to use your mouth and you have to blow and you have to use your air. And so um, your sound, your tone quality is this thing that kind of um, makes the difference between a really kind of like, you know, kind of like crummy sounding, you know, instrument or this really beautiful, resonant, brassy, um, this beautiful sound, right? And the trombone can be a really beautiful instrument. It can emulate the human voice really well if you have a really good sound. And so Chris says, I want a better sound. Um, throughout my whole, you know, trombone playing of three years, I think my sound's not very good. And then two, um, I want to be able to hit some higher notes and some lower notes. I don't really have the range. I can't really hit the high notes very well, and I can't hit the low notes very well. I'm kind of just right here in the middle. And, uh, you know, if you want to be a better trombone player, if you want to be able to experiment all across the horn, then you want to improve your range also. That goes with all musical instruments, right? Um, so I said, okay, sounds good. Um, Here's what I can promise you, right? I'm going to give you some exercises, some daily kind of things. And if you stick with it, if you kind of do these daily habits, these daily exercises, these daily routines, not just in your lesson with me, but at home every day, um, then I can promise that these things are going to improve. But, but here's the big warning when it comes to music and playing music, okay? Music is a long game, okay? It's a long game. Right? A lot of us are like really um, like good athletes, like we're just naturally athletic. So maybe, um, you know, if you're, you know, like Bryant, right, stud basketball player. Okay? I don't know much else about Bryant's athletic ability, but I bet because Bryant's a good athlete that if he wanted to pick up golf, it'd probably take him maybe like two or three times and he could pick it up just because he's a good athlete. 
You can do that. Good athletes can kind of do that. Music is not like that. You can be talented. You can be naturally gifted in music, but it's a long game. If you want to go from here to here, it can take weeks, months, usually years to get to that point. Music is a long game. It's a long habit, a long discipline. So I warned Chris. I said, Chris, you may not see the results you want right away, but I promise, just stick with it, stick with it, and we'll get to where you want to go. So about six weeks go by, and Chris comes into his lesson on Tuesday morning, and he's like really upset. He's really sad. And so I'm like, Chris, what's going on, man? He said, um, well, we had a chair test yesterday. That's a test where they play for their director, and they get first chair to, you know, last chair. And I didn't do very well. Um, I've been doing these things you told me every day. I've been really diligent with it. Like 30 minutes every day, I've been doing these exercises. Um, I've, been, I've been sticking with it. But um, whenever I played my chair test yesterday, my director still said that my sound was not very good. It was too tingy, and I still couldn't hit the high notes. And he was, like, almost crying. He was really upset, right, this poor little freshman boy. He wants to get better at trombone so bad. And I said, Chris, I told you, this is a long game. It stinks right now, but stick with it. I promise if you stick with it, something is going to happen, right? Because playing music, playing trombone, playing really any instrument, it takes a lot of things to line up. Okay? First of all, like your brain. You have to know what you want the music to sound like. Your brain has to match your lips when you play a horn. Okay? Your amateur, your mouth, your buzzing, your air. Right? That has to match your hands and your fingers, the technique. And all that has to sync up kind of with like your soul. Right? Music is like something that comes from your soul. It's, like, it's kind of like guttural. Like you have to feel it. So all these things have to sync up to kind of become this better musician. And so those, that thing takes a lot of time. And so I told Chris, look, stick with it. I promise these things are going to sync up. You're going to see some fruit from this in a little bit. But just stick with it. Um, and so two weeks ago, so this is like 14 or 15 months later, two weeks ago, Chris sends me a text message. We've been meeting every week. And I've heard him get better and better and better every week. Um, but about two weeks ago, Chris sends me a text message. And he says, I think I, think I got it. Like, I think something clicked. Like, I was practicing for all-region band, which is this thing where students go and they audition with other students from other high schools, and the best from all the high schools make this all-region band. He was practicing his etudes, and he said, I think something clicked. Like, all of a sudden, like, something just snapped, and I could feel my body and my mouth and my air and my hands and my brain, and everything just kind of synced up. And I was able to play this piece in my practice the way I wanted it to, the way I heard it in my head. And I said, Chris, that's awesome. That's awesome. Keep with it. Keep with it. So he does. He keeps with it. And last week, um, I met with him, and he ended up making the all-region band. He auditioned. He made it, right? This sophomore kid now who went from here, and now he's all the way over here. But it took 15 or 16 months of long, dark, hard work to get there. And Advent is a season that parallels that, I think, really well. You see, Advent is this time in the church calendar in which annually all of us, the church body across the globe, we try to remind ourselves that God works like music. Okay? God takes time. Right? He takes process. God is working here and here, but also in all of this waiting space. That's where we really see God working. God is coming. Right? Advent just comes from the Latin word adventus which just means coming. So God is coming. God is adventing. He's already come. He's coming. But it's a long and it's a patient process. So we want to encounter God in that process. 
And this is because God works like music, like I said. Or maybe a different analogy for some of you all. God works more like a professional chef than a home cook. Okay? So last week was Thanksgiving, right? How many of us are traditionalists and it's like always turkey on Thanksgiving? Everyone do turkey on Thanksgiving. Has anyone tried duck or anything else? Anybody? You do duck too? George does a duck. I've, I've heard that duck is actually the better bird. So maybe next year. It's not? You don't like the duck? <laughs> it's not as flavorful as turkey? No? Oh, okay. I've heard duck is actually better, but I, maybe I'm wrong. So. <laughs> So, so, a lot of, so a lot of us are traditionalists and we like to make turkey, right? So, um, so for the most part, and like when I make turkey, right, I go buy my turkey from HEB. I may, you know, put some stuff in it. Um, if I'm really fancy, I'll like open the skin and maybe like coat the inside of the turkey with butter. And then, you know, usually stick it in the oven for like two and a half, three hours. Boom, pop it out. It's probably a little dry. Like everyone's is a little bit dry. And then, but you don't say anything and you eat it and you enjoy. Right? Thanksgiving's really about the sides anyway. So turkey is just kind of like the thing that puts it together. But, so that's like kind of the home cook, right? But what does a professional chef do when he makes a turkey? Does anyone know? Brines it. Exactly. Exactly. Professional chefs brine the turkey. That means they make this mix of usually water and salt, and they put some other flavors in it, usually honey, some lemon, and they soak the turkey, the entire turkey, in this brine, usually for 24 to 48 hours. Like two days. Two whole days of just soaking this turkey in this brine before they cook it. And what the brine does is it helps lock in the flavors, lock in the juices, so that after you cook the turkey and you eat it, it's still moist and it's tender. Right? And God is more like that professional chef. Right? If you want good turkey, it takes time. Usually two whole days of preparation. Right? Advent is about that time. You see, in order for Christmas morning to really be meaningful to us, we have to engage in the waiting space, in that slow process of Adventus. And this morning, we're going to talk about the first part of that process, what we're going to briefly touch on. It's embracing the darkness of Advent. Embracing the darkness. Because if we want to really experience the joy of Christmas morning, we have to understand the long and dark process of the coming God for the Israelites. So our Advent story actually starts back in the Exodus. Okay, So our first passage this morning is going to be Exodus 6. Verses 1 through 8. And I want to do, uh, I mean, we're a family in here, so I kind of want to do this, like, popcorn style. So I'm just going to pick on somebody, and you're going to read it, okay? Shana, you have a good face. You're, like, looking at me, right? You're telling me, like, Noel, I want to read so bad this morning. So I'm going to give it up. So, Shana, will you read um, Exodus 6, 1 through 8 for us? But now I've heard the groanings of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians continued to enslave, and I remembered my covenant. Therefore, tell the Israelites, I am God. I will bring you out from under the cruel, hard labor of Egypt. I'll rescue you from slavery. I'll redeem you, intervening with great acts of judgment. 
I'll take you as my own people, and I'll be God to you. You'll know that I am God, your God who brings you out from under the cruel hard labor of Egypt. I'll bring you into the land that I promised to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and give it to you as your own country. I am God. Man, so what like a promise right there. Right? You have to think about it. These people are enslaved in Egypt, and then all of a sudden, God breaks in and says this to them. He says, look, I am God. I'm going to deliver you from this. I'm going to bring you into the land that I promised to give Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. I'm going to give you your own country. Right? What a promise of life and of light in this darkness. Right? So, but the Israelites are still over here. They're still enslaved. And here's this promise over here. Right? And then there's all this space in here. Right? That's Exodus chapter 6. What happens in Exodus chapter 7? Anybody know? Exodus chapter 8? Exodus 9? Right? Well, you get the plagues, first of all, which probably makes everyone in Israel think that things are actually getting worse than better. Right? All of a sudden now we have locusts and we have all kinds of crazy stuff happening. Right? Eventually, eventually God does deliver on his promise, but it's like chapters and chapters and chapters later, there's a whole lot of nothing. There's a whole lot of darkness. Right? Eventually, God delivers them out from Pharaoh, but then they're so miserable in the desert, they wish they were back in Egypt as slaves. This waiting space, this middle void, God is doing something to the Israelites in that space. It takes an entire generation of Israelites until we see the fulfillment of this promise in Exodus 6. Until we see the light at the end of the tunnel. It takes decades of darkness. Decades of waiting space. You see, this Exodus story, the story of the time between here and between here, it parallels one of the biggest tensions that we have right now as people of God during the season of Advent and Christmas. Because we're surrounded by Christmas everywhere. Right? Like, does anyone go out to Chick-fil-A on 46? Like, that was up before Halloween, right? Like, you walk in and there's a Christmas tree and it's like 98 degrees outside, right? Or have you all been to Target any time in the last, I don't know, eight months? It's like July and I'm walking through and seeing glass ornaments and hip stockings, right? Or do any of you all listen to Magic 95.5, right? I'm hearing Christmas carols and it's like November 15th, Right? I mean, none of these things are bad. It's not bad to sing Christmas carols, or it's not bad to have lights hanging up, or to shop or do your stockings. But I think if we just speed along towards Christmas morning, I think it robs us a little bit of what God wants to do with us right now during Advent. I think it kind of cheats our souls some if we don't allow that waiting space, that process, that darkness to have its due time. You see, we know the end of the Advent season already, right? We're blessed with that. We know that Jesus has come. The Messiah has come. Christmas has come. The light has entered the darkness, and it's beautiful, and it's full of joy and peace, right? Peace on earth, goodwill towards all men. But if we skip ahead, right? If we don't allow the musical practice to to change our minds and our souls and our air and our hands, if we don't allow that turkey to brine properly, right? If we aren't willing to embrace a time of darkness and ask God to come meet us there, to advent there in that darkness, then I don't think we allow ourselves a real opportunity to have God actually work in those places in our lives that currently need it the most. 
So back to our biblical story. Um, a lot of you guys know this, right? So after God brings them out of Egypt and gives them the promised land, right? He establishes a kingdom, and then the kingdom splits, right? We get the northern kingdom, which is the kingdom of Israel. We get the southern kingdom, which is the kingdom of Judah. And a couple of centuries go by. But what happens to both kingdoms, to God's people? Does anybody know what happens? They go into exile, both of them, right? They have this stuff that God promised them, and then they end up going into exile, right? The northern kingdom gets conquered by Assyria. The southern kingdom of Judah gets conquered by Babylon, and now they're in exile. They're back in this darkness. They're back in wondering, God, what happened? Like, you promised us this, and now we got kicked out of our land? Like, we don't have anything anymore. And so we pick up this Advent story in Isaiah 64. Um, will someone read Isaiah 64? We've got a long passage here, so we want someone who um, is long-winded. Will someone read Isaiah 64 for me? Does anyone want to do it? Awesome. Thank you. How's that encouragement for you? Huh? What, what are some words that you think describe what Isaiah is saying about this season of exile here? Just throw them out. Despair. That's great. Enough. I mean, look at the last four lines. I mean, that's crazy. In the face of all this, are you going to sit there unmoved, God? Aren't you going to say something? Haven't you made us miserable long enough? Woo! Man, abandoned is almost like hopelessness. Almost. Almost. It's desperation for sure. It's darkness. Right? It's darkness. Right? Anyone remember that song from a couple years ago? That, say something, I'm giving up on you. Right? Okay? Yeah, nailed it. I know. First of all. Okay? All right? All right? Amber, eat your heart out. Okay? All right? All right? No, but... Everyone remember that song, right? I think if you think about it, that's actually an Advent song, if you really want to make it one, right? That's, that song kind of reflects the season of Advent a little bit. Like, God, do something. Like, say something. You're like, Scott, it's been 400 years. 
You haven't delivered this Messiah yet. You know? Like, you delivered us out of Egypt only so we can be conquered by Babylon. Like, what's going on, God? Like, why are you just, like, filling us with darkness? Where's the light? Where's the hope? Where's the promise? When are you going to do what you said you were going to do? I think this, like, that set of feelings, that atmosphere, I think that's where we have to step into in this first week of Advent. Right there. Don't go any further than that for this week. Now, we're going to get to Christmas. We are, and it's going to be awesome. But this first week of Advent, let's step into that. Into the exile, into the desperation. This is how the people of God have felt over and over and over again in the biblical story. Like the entire Old Testament is kind of this feeling. And over and over and over again, God shows his people that his promises are true. And they will come. But... God lets his people know that he's equally as interested in the waiting game, in the long game, in the process, in the darkness, in meeting them in those dark places. God's equally as interested in all of this space as he is over here and over here. See, Advent is about God coming into the darkness of our own lives as well, of this world as it currently is. Advent isn't about sloppily and hastily preparing for Christmas so we can open gifts and then move on with January and February and get to Lent. But like a good chef, God likes to work in a long process of time so that he can really form us. He can really bring his handiwork to fruition. And like this Advent candle, right, the light shines brightest where? In the darkness. That's where we can really see the light, is in the darkest of places in our life, in our soul. River City family, if we just fly through to Christmas, right, then I would say nothing really is going to change in us this year. And we're going to come around to Advent 2016, and a lot of us are going to be feeling the exact same way. If we just sing carols about the Messiah, if we open presents filled with love and joy, and we don't do anything about Advent, I think we're still going to have these deep places of darkness kind of festering in our soul, in our lives, in our world. And this darkness is going to be crying out in desperation, asking God to come and do something about it. So during this first week of Advent, let's maybe for the very first time ever in celebrating this season for some of us, let's embrace and encounter the darkness that we're currently in. I want to ask us to reflect on those incredibly dark places in our life, in our soul, in our sin, and ask God to begin the process of healing, begin the process of restoration, begin the process of redemption, begin the process of taking us from here, working in us all through here. Let's invite God into those dark, dark places. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, right, a German pastor, theologian. He was also a spy um, against the Nazis. He has this to say about Advent while he was in prison. By the way, a prison cell like this is a good analogy for Advent. One waits, hopes, does this or that. They're ultimately negligible things. The door is locked and can only be opened from the outside. Advent reminds us that misery, sorrow, poverty, loneliness, helplessness, and guilt means something quite different in the eyes of God 
than according to human judgment. And listen to this, that God turns toward the very places from which humans turn away. So this morning during our kingdom time, we're going to have a little bit of space and time to turn ourselves toward those dark places and ask God to advent there, to meet us there, to begin that healing process, that restoration, that redemption. We're going to ask God to come and meet us right there as we encounter and embrace the darkness that's currently in our own lives. So we're going to do something a little bit different. Usually during kingdom time, we kind of uh, group up. Um, I want to do something that may be uh, a little awkward. Um, I'm going to ask Brian if we can just shut all the lights off. We'll, just, we'll let the natural light kind of fill in. Um, and uh, yeah, even these backlights too would be great. And I want us to kind of, if, if we can spread out, if not, if you just want to sit there, that's fine. But we're just going to take a few minutes, and I want you to reflect on the darkness in your life right now. Where are those places in your life right now, in the world around you, in your sin, in your relationships with others that are darkest, that like Isaiah are crying out for God to do something? Please, come here. Right? We're not expecting that God's going to fix this this week. Right? Advent's a process. It's a season. But the first part of that is just acknowledging and embracing that we have some dark places around us. And we need to ask and beg and plead God to come to Advent to us in those places. Okay? So I'm going to ask Brian if you can just play something real soft. Um, and, uh, and we'll just take a few minutes And just kind of, you and God, just ask God to come and meet you in those dark places in our lives. And then I'll close this out with a prayer.